welcome to episode two of Movie Mumble, the monthly movie exploration and discussion podcast where we seek to broaden our cinematic horizons. I'm Scott Murray, and today I'm joined by Joel Lewis. Howdy. And Tim Gerard. Hello. For those of you unfamiliar with Movie Mumble, it is a monthly podcast where we get together, watch a film, and then talk about it. The goal is to introduce ourselves to new films, genres, styles, themes, and, you know, go over old ones with new eyes. Generally, just have fun. We each take turns picking a film to watch, whether it's one we already know and love or something completely new, and hope that we find unexpected new joys along the way. I'm not so sure Tim found so many joys this month. <laughs> there aren't really any rules. Uh, films can be anything, foreign, domestic, live action or animated, new or old, famous or obscure. After we've watched the film, we talk about it. What we liked, what we disliked, we see where that leads us, whether it's discussing the film's context or production, talking about our own personal movie memories, other films, or just something else altogether. At the end of each podcast, we will announce what we are watching the following month, so you can sort of watch along with us if you'd like to keep up. This month, I was our movie selector, and I picked The Skycrawlers. And I seem to have misplaced my box. That's so what she I'll said. just open up, the <laughs> I'll open up the Wikipedia page here. We're at 1 minute and 25 seconds. First, Ooh, that's what she said. Yes, the <laughs> uh, Japanese anime from 2008, directed by, I'm going to totally butcher the name, but Mamoru Oshii. Uh, he's the one who directed the original Ghost in the Shell anime film, which is probably one of his most famous, if not his most famous production. Mm. Uh, we will be spoiling the entire film. So turn back now if you don't want anything ruined <laughs> for you. And this is a film that I think really benefits yeah. from some discussion and explanation. No so kidding. if you want a raw experience, be sure to go watch The Skycrawlers before you listen to this. So The Skycrawlers is a, a sci-fi, and it is a sci-fi. It's a little odd because it's a war film that takes place with sort of World War II-ish technology. Planes all have propellers, they use machine guns. It's a little bit anachronistic. I think I saw a computer on the commanding officer's desk yeah. of sorts, you know. But for the most part, that's the, the tech we're in. Right. And it seems odd to say, oh, well, it's because the planes are slightly unusual. It's sci-fi, but there is also uh, the issue of the children, the clones, essentially, the grown humans, which gets revealed later on in the show. Uh, I came across this in what is undoubtedly one of the strangest film discovery stories I have. Um... I'm, I'm at least a, I'm a fan of anime to a point. I, I've only been introduced the past few years. I've been slowly immersing myself, finding what I like and don't like. I don't have a, a whole lot. Uh, this is the only anime on my shelf other than uh, one TV series. I don't own anything else, even though I've thoroughly enjoyed a number of things. And I didn't even find this because of friends or roommates or the same ways I found all the other anime I've watched. I found this, strangely enough, because I'm a fan of a video game series called Ace Combat which has been going since the, the mid-90s, by a Japanese developer, Project Aces. It is easily my favorite franchise. I just I love everything about it. It's all modern, all jets, you know. The last proper numbered Ace Combat we had was 10 years ago now. Right. And that was a 360 exclusive. All the prior ones had been PlayStation, so I did not own an Xbox. So really, 11 years mm -hmm. for the last one I could play. That was an actual numbered entry. We had a couple spin-offs, but So at some point... I was just craving more Ace Combat because we had complete radio silence until until last year about the eighth installment, and I found out just completely by accident that they had the same the same developer had made a game for the Wii called The Skycrawlers Innocent Aces. And I went, ah, oh, I'm never gonna buy a Wii, but I need to see this. So I just went to YouTube, looked up a playthrough. It was cool, and then you know somewhere I don't know comments description, 
the, the phrase based on the film was you know somewhere in there and I went film <laughs> and there we are so so there it is um, I'm sure we'll get into explanations in a moment but first first impressions I think Tim should go first <laughs> I think he has probably the most visceral reaction of either of us don't be afraid well, to be negative Tim you're not going to hurt okay. my feelings well, well all right that's why we're here yeah um, the reason uh, that we're here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, I mean, I, I I don't want to say I disliked it because I feel like whenever I don't enjoy something, I I try to look at it from like, well, maybe I didn't get it. Maybe it's just not in you know a genre I'm into. Um, there were things about it that I liked. One of the things I started to, I was starting to say. Um, you know, and I was like, "Oh, I'll save this for the podcast." Is like, it it made me want to do a remake of it and kind of fix the things that I was like, uh, like that were losing me. So you liked the you concept, know? but the presentation was not to your taste, right? And I, don't and know I if it's, it's presentation so much as execution. Maybe is what Tim's referring to. Yeah, like, well, so for example, like as I'm starting to watch it, I'm like, okay. I get this idea that there's some mystery here, there's some little clues we're going to have, so I'm, like, watching for all these little elements, like, you know, like when he lights a cigarette and then, like, cracks the match in half and throws it, the dog sniffing it, and then when the woman comes out later and looks at the match that's snapped in half, I'm like, okay, there's significant... film of subtle hints, that was was good. Right, but but I still felt completely lost, (laughs) and I was just like, all right, I'm I'm trying, I wanted to enjoy this. I wanted to to follow it. I wanted to kind of get it to, um, you know, to to really feel. And I'll I'll be honest. I, I dozed off a few times, and that's also one of the reasons why I'm like this could be my fault. I could have missed a big thing, um, and I guess I I did feel that I I was I had to work a little too hard at it. You know, again, like sure. if I wasn't paying attention and I missed all these little clues, then okay, that's my fault. But I was like. Okay, yeah, there's something, and then they would make a comment, and there'd be this dramatic silence, and I'm like, was 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 that a reveal? Was that important? Was that? I, I kind of felt like maybe how a lot of people felt watching Lost, you know, that whole more questions than answers, you know, and I just I, I felt like I was missing something the whole time, like not I, not like I was going along with the the journey of the film, like something that happened that I hadn't caught. And that, and, I was, and that's why I was like behind, you know. Um, so again, like you know, I, when 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 I don't like something, I try to figure like, okay, what did I miss? Is it something I didn't understand? Is it is it you know? Yeah, if I miss something that would have made it, oh, okay, that explains it all. Now it's really cool. Um, visually, it was it was stunning though. I, oh, I also yes. want to throw that in. Like I'm visually, so it was it was amazing. Like um, I really it, liked it how an interesting mixture of two D and three D animation. Yeah. on the same screen. Yeah, which is certainly unusual. And it was it was neat too, like seeing like all the these planes, these machines, oh. like and that was where they would use like the computer generated. But then like all the humans were kind of almost more crudely drawn, and you mm-hmm. kind of I think it was it was an interesting juxtaposition to see Absolutely. those two things. Um, yeah. Are you gonna say something? Well, I, I I didn't want to jump into the visual aspects of it too early, but I, I found your, your first impressions, please. The ev- everything you. in the sky is gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Everything around. The characters is gorgeous when they go to the abandoned city or the the, oh, the, yeah. the new city. The mm-hmm. beautiful color at the the sort of revelation sequence when his memories all sort of slot together. Yeah. All the colors in the backgrounds of those shots. And when when they go to like that that restaurant or 
it's it's good the, the the intricacy of the paintings and the walls everything in the background is great and then there's these ah, generic yes. 2D hand drawn sort of featureless plots their faces have no contours it's just you know, it was yeah. so <laughs> frustrating <laughs> and I, I just everything in the air was gorgeous when they do the big battle scene with all the bomb even when they preface that they said here's all of the people that are going to go out I'm like oh my god this is going to be epic the sky is going to be filled and the way that it felt just the 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 looming nature of it and there's there's really good that's where the pacing really worked well is they showed these things in flight and slow cuts, and then when they use slow mo, it worked really, really, really well. Mm-hmm. And you get to see casings flying off. Like they everything, use the slow mo, which is yeah, nice. Yeah. Everything in the sky is gorgeous, but then you cut to these generic flatline faces, <laughs> and it, it's just like, did they blow their budget? I, I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> and I mean, you may, you may have caught onto it from what you're saying, but I think that was purposeful. Right, like it's mm-hmm. it's these these mm-hmm. shadows. These these facsimile almost copies. So the the overarching plot here is that humanity has achieved peace. And and the, the commanding officer explains this a bit in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't it doesn't work. There's they forget how valuable a peace is. Sort of the value of a human life, if you will, the value of peace. They forget how blessed they are. And basically stresses build and eventually violence returns. Right. So the whole idea here is that there are these two corporations, Rostock, Rostock and Lautern, Lautern, however you say it, and that their job is to wage war against each other. And it's got to be real war, not some sort of facsimile, not fake, real. So real machines, real people, real death. And that, that war sort of fills the necessary, necessary role of required violence, right. leaving the world to be at peace and to respect itself. Mm-hmm. You know, which is a, a, its own philosophical discussion, but... Uh, you might have found yourself wondering if you had had that explanation earlier rather than partway through the film. It's all well and good. You can make more tanks and planes and bullets, but what do you do about people? Well, they made children. Just grown, people grown, grown somewhere, I guess, in advance. I don't know, you know. Mm-hmm. To be... They're called kids. They're sort of young adults, 18-ish, maybe yeah. 20, sort of low age range. And they just, they don't age because their whole purpose is war. Yeah. They are another produced thing. Which the, the the nature of the film then deals with the nature of their lives and how fulfilling or unfulfilling they are and what it is to live and to die and to be human, you know, like any good sci-fi. But I think that, as you said, the purpose of them being sort of featureless and lumpy and a little less, just less real than everything else around them was because they, they really are. They were grown. Mm-hmm. The other thing is we see ordinary citizens also. Mm-hmm. And they are drawn the same way. Mm-hmm. So is that a comment on all of society? Once we've reached this world peace state, mm-hmm. is that we are these two-dimensional, featureless beings? The closest we come to life is through death, and with no more threat of death, except for the ones who are meant for it. It's like this, this echo of, of humanity? Sure. I mean, and that's definitely an interpretation, Absolutely. and it's something that I'm getting more out of the film having sat here and had mm-hmm. that thought experiment it just it's really stark contrast on screen oh yeah you can definitely tell and uh, it's it's gorgeous in the air (laughs) it's definitely breathtaking in that sense i really wish i i just i want i want him to go back and just make me a 20 minute air battle 
Yeah. I don't care. No plot. No context. Don't don't care. Don't give me character. I just want to see these planes fight. It's it's insane. Something else I noticed early on was that there's almost this insistence that there's a camera. Because yeah. Tim had said early on, is like, I, I yeah, like that it's a shaky camera, camera. Yeah. in animation. Yeah. And the way the lens flares <laughs> were working and the, the way it followed the trajectory of a plane was very cognizant of we're trying to create the idea that you're there, that you're there but mm-hmm. also that this was shot. It's captured. It's not animated. It's not... Um, yeah. It's a guy in a chase plane with a camera. Yeah. So when the, the actor planes make their close pass and the whole plane shakes, you, you can feel see the camera. Yeah. Yeah. Feel it, you yeah. feel the wake trails. That, that's, that was really cool. Mm-hmm. And something I haven't experienced specifically with animation of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was thinking it would be interesting to talk about our history with anime. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim, have you had anything specifically that you've watched in that genre? Um, very little. Um, I, I watched like after I think it was after the first Matrix when they did the Animatrix. Okay. Um, I had watched that. People know, really like that. A, yeah, it's really Matrix solid. Fan. Apparently. Um, one of the probably the only like legit standalone anime thing I have ever seen uh, is a, a series called V. Okay. Um, which I guess there was a series and a movie, and I think there's a, a manga of it, and it's a bunch of stuff. Um, but it's basically there are seven dragons of heaven and the seven dragons of earth, and the dragons of earth are trying to save planet Earth. The, the dragons of heaven are trying to save like humans. So they're kind of warring. The dragons of Earth want to destroy humans because they're like humans are destroying Earth, and the dragons of you know of heaven are trying to save the humans from. So it's kind of this interesting thing where well wait well who are the bad guys because if you know humans are responsible for destroying an entire planet like aren't they the bad guys mm-hmm. and like so so I really like that but then it got really confusing because you know again there was the movie and then the films and I I couldn't really see how they fit together mm-hmm. and. Uh, plus, at the time I was doing it, it was before like streaming and or you know pirating stuff online. So I was buying these DVDs that were like twenty five dollars for like two or three episodes right. or something like that. And I just kind of gave up. Gotcha. Um, but I, I really liked it. I liked the visual style. I liked the concepts and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but cool. That was. That, I think that was pretty much it. For and me. then it is worth mentioning that Tim, you and I went to see the live action Ghost in the Shell, right. the Scarlett Johansson one, mm-hmm. and that we both enjoyed it. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, See mean, it in 3D. That, obviously, it's not an anime <laughs> in itself, but you know, it's it's an insane. Adaptive. They're pretty pretty direct adaptations. Mm-hmm. So yeah, worth, certainly worth a mention. Mm-hmm. And then Scott, were you saying it, was this your first anime no, film? At, okay, not by any what would have been? No. I mean, actually, it might have been my first film. film. Yes, non-TV series. Okay, and definitely in that sense, first standalone. Thing. Okay, yeah. Um, I started with a roommate was watching Sword Art Online. Okay. which has now single-handedly divided our entire fan base into for and against. <laughs> uh, it's very widespread popularity and, of course, mm-hmm. very widespread hatred for the, uh-huh. the very divisive, uh, very sort of... It hits all the typical notes, hits a lot of the, I don't want to say stereotypes, but the things that you just sort of typically think of the standards that... Yeah, stereotypes, I guess, for yeah. anime. And, but, oh, man, it has a killer soundtrack. Gotcha. So anyway, I like that enough that... um that same roommate I was like well what else do you watch and started checking out some of those and um, I began first becoming closer friends with and then dating someone who was also hugely into anime and between them you know I just broadened my horizons more and more but 
I really think it was all TV shows. Okay. Uh, Full Metal Alchemist, Psychopaths, TV shows. Like, a lot of TV shows have films to sort of cap them off okay. at the end of the series that will either close the plot or just be a one-off thing. Off the top of my head, I can't actually think of any other films. Okay. So, so my experience with anime-ish stuff previous to like the last six months would have been Yu-Gi-Oh! TV series or um, Pokemon... Stuff that's very, very Americanized and, like, cut and edited for that audience. Um, More recently, really the only thing I've seen front to back so far that's come out is One Punch Man, which is Mm -hmm. hilarious and amazing, and it's totally a response to and almost a commentary on traditional anime. So it's about this uh, uh, superhero that's become so powerful that he can take down everybody with one punch. And he has these long, drawn-out conversations. He doesn't. Any enemy that comes at him has this long, drawn-out backstory. It's really dramatic, and the music swells, and halfway through it, Saitama punches him in the face, and he explodes. <laughs> it's amazing. Everybody should watch it. It's nothing but good things so it's, far. It's, it's amazing, and, and that's kind of really the only um, experience I've had with it. Mm-hmm. Scott, you and I had had a conversation about it, and I, I think... My phrasing was, I'm not really into anime, to which you responded, well, what does that mean? Because Right, a lot of people say, I'm sorry, Joel, please. No, no go ahead. Um, it's, it's just that in the same way people who say, like, I'm not really into video games, right. don't really, that's not really saying anything, because yeah. the, there's so many genres right. and subsets. I, mean, I don't like TV. Well, do you mean Seinfeld or Game of Thrones? Right. Right, because like, the, mm-hmm. the, the breadth, there's so much variety. right. right. I heard people say they're not comfortable with animation sort of as a whole, and that's, I mean, that's fair. But and see, typically my, my response to that 2D animation is it's, it's too shiny, and I'm not a fan of it mm-hmm. aesthetically. Sure. And that, that's right. its and own... That's, that's a perfectly fair. Right. So what you were saying was that the first one that you had really gotten into has a lot of the elements yeah. that everybody attributes to all it's, it's anime. It's a little broader. So, I mean, one of the things is the, the harem anime, where our main character, usually a male, just all, all the people he runs into just fall in love with him. Okay. That only happens in sword art. Okay. Um, is that the, an acronym? What is it? No, literally. Sword art? Oh, sword art is short. Sword art online was the show. I'm okay, sorry. That was my first show. Okay. Um, SAO or sword art. Okay, gotcha. But, uh, it, it's, it's a harem anime. Um, it's a, Young love anime, they're sort of teenagers, but of course people fall in love. It's a it's a virtual reality video game where if you die in the game, you die in real life, which okay. of course we've seen before. Gotcha. Um, it's one of those things where the main character just becomes ridiculously overpowered because he's the main character and his force of will is so strong, nothing will stop me, you know. And mm-hmm. no, you threaten the one I love, and you know, and which I mean I, I think is a great example of the way the same story can be told in so many different ways because there are definitely stories that are totally like that that I just just was so bored through but the way sword art was done which just enthralled me speaking of which the soundtrack played no small part in that I okay. always endlessly rave about the sword art online soundtrack. speaking of music th- this had a great soundtrack uh, Tim what, yeah. what, what was your opinion as, as, yeah, as our resident music, <laughs> resident music guru um you know I, I I loved it and I ironically and this is kind of you know in, in terms of putting me on the spot I I <laughs> don't necessarily no it's okay I don't necessarily actually follow music first um it, it 
it's kind of interesting too. And I mean, a lot of composers also talk about like melody first and, you know, I, I start off as a, as a percussionist, so I usually think rhythm first, you know, and it's, so like whenever people are kind of talking about these, oh yeah, like, you know, how about that melody? How about when that theme comes back? Did you love that? I was like, yeah, I didn't catch that. <laughs> you know, so a lot of times I, um, I don't always notice, which I've also read is the sign of a good film score is that you don't notice it. Yeah. <laughs> is that it's like, it's subtle you know, enough that it do, takes yeah. it back. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I do tend, you know, when it comes to, to, to movies, I tend to, uh, focus on story first and yeah and like sort of yeah how the music is kind of enhancing that um it it really takes i, I yeah i notice something more if it's if it's bad but if it's good it's just kind of it's working it's doing its job gotcha. it's there you sure. know um but but yeah i mean i definitely from what i can recall from the experience it was very like um yeah i remember some of the textures i remember one point there being like you know flute and um, not flute, uh, uh, harp and strings, and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like, I think it was, it was a section where there wasn't any dialogue, and it was just kind of very, very serene for a while, and that was kind of where I really noticed it. And I was like, oh, this is probably because there aren't other things we're supposed to be walking, like paying attention to, like mm-hmm. action or this, these little bits of dialogue that are maybe giving us clues as to what's going on. I don't know, <laughs> you know. But it was this one scene where there was just kind of landscapes, and I was just like, you know, that's where the music really came mm-hmm. forward for me. Um, but I was like, oh, yeah, this is really nice. <laughs> they definitely use the music when there's, to fill, I don't want to say to fill gaps, but when there's nothing else happening. Mm-hmm. It's a film that doesn't try to throw a lot at you at once, mm-hmm. which I am a huge sucker for films that, and TV shows that know how to use silence mm-hmm. and patience, oh, yeah. which is one of the reasons I really love Tarantino's films, mm-hmm. because there will be entire, you know, 20-second segments where characters just occupy the same room. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting with somebody like Tarantino who can write. Oh, yeah. Just, I mean, Hateful Eight is a great example mm-hmm. of just some exceptional dialogue. Au revoir, Shoshana, and Glorious Bastards, of course. But um, that, that's done really well here, and it, it's something, like I said, something that I particularly love, mm-hmm. which is another one of the reasons I love this film. Yeah. I mean, there are all sorts. It, it really hits a lot of the notes, things that are right up my alley. But, um, yeah, it, it's the music tends to come up when it's not a distraction Mm -hmm. but it sort of shepherds you from place to place and that's that's on purpose you know it's all about the the slow pacing staying in this auditory vein the just sound in this is incredible from the 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 moment we hear that dog bark oh yeah that is an actual dog Uh that is not cartoon dog sound right <laughs> it, it's it just as soon as I heard that it's like they really tried to get sound really precise and true to life that's probably something else that made it really distracting to have the 2d 3d juxtaposed mm-hmm. is that we get all of these sounds that are incredible and informing the scene and then there's these flat character designs mm-hmm. the the gun casings propellers the the the, mm-hmm. the zooms like it, it's it's really well put together and the, the sound just fills the scene because we get a lot of that silence mm-hmm. and it's occupied by atmospheric sound mm-hmm. as much as with underlying orchestral it's, it's stuff. Read, the, the, the planes are the plane sound. Yeah. I mean the planes in general but the sound the, the engines the guns I mean it's all and yet at that last scene mm-hmm. when he goes off to fight the teacher for whatever reason when the teacher's guns open up, it's that silent. last slow motion pass, it always makes me jump. Just a little bit. It <laughs> just feels so much 
louder and brighter and in your face. And it's supposed to be because it's a point-blank pass right across the and cockpit. He, and it, the guns just oh man, explode yeah. out of the, the barrels. And it, for, for something so... The violence is so inherent to this world. You see two or three blood splatters the whole time. It's a very bloodless film. Yeah. That final pass that he does, you see him turn into this bloody mist. It's funny that you say that because aerial combat is by its nature fairly... Uh, Bloodless? Uh, sure. I mean, obviously people die. But something that I've read and heard in documentaries and books a number of times is that you know, pilots don't necessarily associate, like, oh, I just killed another human being. It's, I just shot down another plane. Gotcha. There's a, there's a sort of, I don't want to say disconnect, and I'm certainly not trying to call them. No. Oh, no, I mean, no, no. But, you know, the difference between an infantryman, you know, putting a grenade in a window and then pushing down the door and shooting, right. them, you know. Yeah. Especially World War II era stuff. Oh, yeah. And especially then, as we've got... As range increases. Newer, newer the... maximum range has increased, of course. There's, it's, it's the sense of the machine, the object. Yeah. So the fact that the film remains that way... Even when we see uh, the pale-haired pilot yeah. get shot down, we don't even see it. He just the plane is in the ocean. Yep, you because don't see no the person impact. involved because yeah. they're just the machines. But uh, I think it's it's interesting that that last one is so much more impactful because it is. If we're following our main character the whole time, that's the only time we get shot. You know, right. yeah. You know, it's you're watching combat is happening or he's shooting somebody. This is. Us, quote unquote. Yeah, right. We sh- we should talk about the the teacher as a plot mm-hmm. mover. Oh yes. So the the teacher is presumably formerly in a relationship with the commander at Kusanagi. Mm-hmm. Yes, at the base. Mm-hmm. The father of the little girl that we see. I I mean I guess presumably I think so. I I think that's a valid interpretation. So at one point he was working for the one company. Yes, for Rostock, which that, is the company that we're following. Right, and that's when the relationship between him and the current commander, who is a Kildren, who has not died. Right. Um, and then at one point he s- changes allegiances. Yes. Which is a very interesting concept. So the whole, in itself, of course. I would have really liked to see that. Because it, it would be interesting if Kildren dies on one side, they bring him back on the other side. Uh, and that would be an interesting kind of dynamic. Mm-hmm. The world is infinitely In this case, interesting. We have an adult. The whole thing the teacher is an adult, right? Because he's a human. And throughout the film, he's fighting for Lothar and for the enemy. Yeah. It opens with him cutting some Rostock planes to shreds. Yeah. Uh, with some phenomenal aerobatics. Mm. He's got this jaguar, the black jaguar, on the, the side plane. of his plane. Yeah. So it's it's this really iconic, terrifying image. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, the Plus, that's the only one with the propeller in the front, right? Everything else we see is... is I think it's the only one we see, yeah. Which yeah. is, uh, you know, it's funny, because I never got the sense that that was... Significant, or... Well, it was, but it wasn't. A, when when the pale hair pilot gets shot down, he and our main character, Konami, are on patrol, and Konami looks up, and there's a formation of a couple medium bombers and then fighter escorts. Mm-hmm. It says, oh, you know, some enemies. He names out Rainbow as a type of enemy plane. And they say, oh, you know, or someone asks, and he says, uh, one of them is a prop forward, might be a something, he names it, and it's not the thing the teacher flies, which oh, called okay. Skyly, he names it okay. something else. Okay. So there are prop forward craft, oh. tractor configuration is what that's called, gotcha. uh, the others with the propeller in the back, it's called a pusher configuration. That um, was such a cool thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Besides, so, those planes were awesome. So in that sense, it's sort of implied that a tractor plane isn't really all that special. Okay. That it's just another viable build. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. But uh, the teacher's Skyly is, is special because of who's in it, <laughs> not because of what it is. But, right. but you're right. It is the only tractor craft we see. Which is really strange. Yeah. Especially if they're going to bother implying that that's not special right. with that conversation. It seems odd that... I mean, I guess maybe odd that we wouldn't see any others. But then again, maybe they wanted to keep the teacher visually distinct. And the other thing is, like, we don't see on this, the side of the company that we're following... What is it called again? Rostock. Is, Ro- is our, our Is Rostock. Mm-hmm. Their planes are all backward. All pushers, yep. So it's the otherness of the, the enemy has this style of plane. We do see a few enemy fighters, and those are also pushers, right. if you recall from the... But you could definitely tell there is a distinct difference between the designs on oh, yeah. both sides. Absolutely. So, talking about the teacher, mm-hmm. as we go along, our main character, Konami, Konami. Mm-hmm. is recovering memories of his previous iterations. So that would seem to be the, the development. At first, he's just he's there, and he keeps saying things seem familiar. Right. Everyone sort of takes to him. And there's this, this constant commentary on memory. Mm-hmm. Who remembers this? How long have we been doing this? Mm-hmm. When were we born? What's our childhood like? Did we grow into this? Right. Who would want to be an adult? That kind of... So at the end, it's sort of the whole big revelation. He, it reveals that the pilot who he took over for, who was shot and killed by the commanding officer, Kusanagi, was him yeah. in that... A previous iteration. We do. They just when they're dead, the children just get remade, sent back to the war with a different name. Yep, yeah, the new name, which is of course completely perfectly convenient for the corporations. It's what they wanted, and we see it earlier when the pale-haired pilot is shot down. He had a particular way of folding his newspaper. And there's a stretch of time with only three pilots on the base, mm. and then a new pilot with pale hair shows up, has no idea who any of the other people are, introduces himself for the first time under a new name, and then folds his newspaper exactly, exactly the, the same. same. And that's right when everything really comes together. And they have an identical Konami. conversation that Konami yes. had when he showed up. And Konami connects with, oh my god, that's why our memories are so, my memories are so... Nebulous. Nebulous, because mm-hmm. it's, you know, a lot of the same. So the final reveal that we get about the teacher is that Konami says as he's going off to face him alone, yeah, this one I wanna talk I'm about going to kill my father. Yes. So are we... There's a number of questions I have. Yeah. We do, who okay okay for a few reasons. <laughs> I don't think the children have a father. I don't think they're birthed. I think they're just created. Okay, sort but would run. they be based on a first that's generation? Django Fett that's kind the, of thing. That's the question. <laughs> don't and bring up Django Fett. <laughs> oh dear. If we gonna, we what don't need to done? take. Prequel talk right now. <laughs> no. We have enough. To I have help. upset Joel. <laughs> Come here, you. All around. Um, Mike's all over the place. It's possible. It's possible that he's their template, if you will. I think it's more certain, and it doesn't. This is they aren't mutually exclusive, but more certain that he is the thing with which Rostock is trying to live up to with the children. This unstoppable pilot. He's, he's the specter of death when the name teacher comes up. It's you know everything. Everyone looks at each other because they know what that means. Right. And it's well, you can't beat him. You know, he, they brought him over to our theater of operations because we were winning too much. Like it's it's just, it's just accepted. Okay, teacher is here, so he's going to kill a bunch of people right. and then go somewhere else and be a specter of death elsewhere. 
and in that sense, I think they're it, it, it tallies with the idea that the children are a an imitation mm-hmm. meant to be expendable because and we don't know why the teacher is so good, but he's a human. He's learning. He's getting older. He's getting better. And the children can never really live up to that. So in that sense, you know, the father figure as a as a glimpse of your supposed destiny, you know, to live up to the father and to become them or supersede them. I think that fits. We also get the sense that Konami never seems to have any challenge when he's up there. Oh yeah, he's easily the best pilot we see. Right. Other than the teacher. He's not really afraid. He's pulled back. The only reason he retreats is because he gets the orders to. Right. And it doesn't seem to be like he doesn't have vendettas or like this pride thing. Because you yeah. see that in a lot of like, I mean if we're talking Top Gun, right? Sure. One of the most famous fighter pilot movies of all time. It's all about ego. Mm-hmm. It's also the 80s and in America and Tom Cruise. But like it, it just, there's very little ego to Konami. I have to wonder how much of that is Konami and how much of that is in the nature of the children. That's yeah. The other question I was going to have is: there a big difference in the translation of the word "father"? Because I'm wondering if that might have been something else. Oh, you know, I don't recall offhand. I don't. I don't know any Japanese. I'm going to say that right now. Okay. I will note slightish differences in the translations for the subtitles and the speaking roles, okay. and they weren't drastic enough in okay. any real stretch. It was occasional. Occasionally, I almost felt like the comprehension would have been better with a subtitled version. Just okay. not even better so much as just different, mm-hmm. but in a way that would have clicked more with you guys. Gotcha. If that, and that makes any kind of okay. sense. Um, uh, what's the... I, don't even, I can't even conjure up the example anymore, but it was just a simple difference between you have two phrases that do really mean the same thing, but the two phrases are going to have different connotations in differences to different people, okay. mm-hmm. too. And just felt like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. I think, I mean, seen the film as many times as I have, I would have chosen the other one. But I'm sure someone else would say the opposite. Yeah. Well, one of the things I kept wondering, too, is, like, if there was any significance to their names. Like, um... Their call sign names, right? Yeah, the ones or, that are or you know, their actual names or whatever. Well, just, sure. you know, like, like watching American Gods, you know, like Mr. Wednesday. Sure. You know, like, kind of what that is alluding to. Mm-hmm. I won't spoil that in case you haven't seen American Gods. But, but, but you, you know, like, th- that, yeah, that type of thing where... Where oh this character's call sign is this oh we just well, dated this podcast yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, call, yes character call sign well you can yeah. read it or too just, it's even more dated that oh, way true. yeah okay. um, character's call sign naming you were saying I'm yeah sorry. just that I was wondering if there was any significance that were kind of that would give hints um, you know I don't, or I don't think so or even like the names of the companies like you know was it like an anagram for something which you know of course like well maybe it is in Japanese and that right. wouldn't mean anything to us anyway you know like we wouldn't be able to recognize you know, it I, you know I don't think so and I say okay. that I mean I essentially I'm just guessing I, I mean no way shape or form connected to Japan or Japanese culture other than the anime I watched and I realized that obviously that is you know makes me right. nothing more than a fan who likes things I watched Shin Godzilla recently the most recent Godzilla film from Japan we still need to watch that I want to watch I'm it I'm not so going to spoil anything okay um, and I watched it because of the director who also did Neon Genesis Evangelion, which is my favorite anime. That's the one that you had discs of. Uh, arguably my favorite TV series. That's a whole other discussion. <laughs> but um, there were things in that film that to me were weird, but were, I understood to be inherent to Godzilla. 
okay. or even to Japanese culture right. or Japanese perception about Godzilla, this right. sort of celebration, if you will. Mm-hmm. It was a, a celebration and a recap and a bring forward into the new, which was great. And even though those things were foreign to me and their meanings were lost to me, I was, could still recognize them. Right. Does that make sense? As mm-hmm. tropes inherent right. to Godzilla film. I have not picked up on any of that in this. And again, I know nothing about Japan, so I'm not mm-hmm. going to say it's definitive. But it was so clear to me mm-hmm. in Godzilla. Yeah. And even as I watch more and more, consume more and more Japanese uh, media, <laughs> media is the term I'm looking for, I go back to the sky crawlers and none of it reveals itself. Hmm. So I will hmm. say, for whatever my okay. opinion counts, hmm. I don't think we are missing anything yeah. for being American. Okay. I mean, yeah, I do tend to sometimes read into things too much, so it's like I also try to, you know, kind of call myself out on that too, yeah. you know. I'm curious, now that I'm thinking, World War Two era planes, mm-hmm. Japanese pilots, there's no evidence of kamikaze. No. And that's no. a really interesting... You know, the whole film, Japan... I mean, the whole place is European. It's got that World War One vibe. Yeah. The empty field, the big manor house, the war whose who's front lines never shift. Yeah. That's all World War One. The whole thing feels very Western Europe, Britain, almost. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. Like, there's no... It's not honor through war. No. In any way, shape, or form. This is a game. Which is funny, because thinking about Ghost in the Shell, it carries the evil corporation's connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same, yeah. Same sort of overarching idea. And yes, exactly. It's it's a game. You catch on that with the scene with these, all these tourists show up to the base. <laughs> Literal tourists. Yeah. It's, it's a you know I root for your team. One of them says. Uh-huh. You, know, you pick a team, mm-hmm. and but that is as described the purpose. It's a spectacle, right. which it's you know, the theater the of release war. valve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The release perfect perfect phrase. The release valve for the the violence. That is supposedly inherent mm-hmm. in human society, mm-hmm. um, and the planes don't really offer us any help there either, because the sankas, which are the planes that our main characters are flying, look very much like shindens, which the imperial Japanese forces were developing at the end of World War II. Mm-hmm. I think they built only two functioning ones, literally, I, two or three. It's mm-hmm. really not that many. They had a propeller in the front and in the back. It's called a push pull. Hmm. Let's just move them both to the back and have them rotate opposite directions, contra rotation. But otherwise, it's very much the same plane. Shape-wise, you know, it had that tiny front and the big sort of delta wing. The Skyway, that teacher flies, mm-hmm. is sort of a Corsair Mustang fucking okay. wolf mashup thing, uh-huh. you know? And um, the the weird two-seater that the commanding officer flies in when they shift bases is is uh, almost like a single-seat the single-engine pusher-contra-rotating P-38 Lightning mm-hmm. thing? Mm-hmm. Question mark? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they did, he took inspiration from everything. The everything big, one of the more impressive designs were those big bombers. The heavy bombers. Those oh, were yeah. spectacular. The scale on those surprises me every time I watch. Yeah. Because they're big, and you see they're big. And you and can feel the... It's not like watching a cartoon. No. You feel the weight and, like you said, the scale of those. And, you know, I, I miss the scale of those even... You see the medium bombers, which look sort of like uh, B2s. Uh, B2s, the the stealth bombers, stealth the flying yeah, wing. Yeah. This is the sort of the heavies. Yeah. This is the medium bombers are more like World War II bombers, sort mm-hmm. of twin engine stuff, B25s. Again, they're a mashup, and they're big. You see them fly over the diner. Yeah. The medium bombers, mm-hmm. they're big, 
And then it's when one of the medium bombers pulls up next to the heavy bomber and is just dwarfed by it. It's that I go massive. Ah, oh, and then when they open their bomb bays and there are like eighteen bajillion bomb bays in every wing. If you remember that, oh, yeah. all, mm-hmm. holy shit! Yeah. <laughs> um, and that—that's just, just incredible. There are, there's definitely a, a, an appreciation for World War Two aerial combat here. That makes me all giddy as a <laughs> World War Two, you know, obsessive. And um, there's that really classic shot in the big battle where the one guy's on the the waist, the side gun, of the mm-hmm. bomber. There's a little square, the yeah. machine gun, and the bullets come in. I mean, that's straight out of, well, you know, take your pick, straight out of Memphis Bell or any any of the other major mm-hmm. bomber-related World War II films, you know. Would Tora 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 be in that category? Uh, no, because not, not, not planes, there weren't any big enough planes. Ah, I see. Uh, but, but, I mean, plenty of formation stuff mm-hmm. and the, the fighters doing their strikes. I mean, yeah, there's, there's certainly an understanding there. You know, it is particularly interesting, the, the World War One, World War Two mix that I mentioned, the World War One nature of the overarching plot, mm-hmm. how the front lines never move and they're on this nice open sort of French-looking field mm-hmm. with a manor house that they all uh-huh. live in by the airfield. Yeah. That's really interesting. And the whole film smacks of romanticism to me. You know, partly like we saw with the tourists, root for your team, there's definitely a romanticism right. in the world. But World War One had this romanticism about it. To, to flying the people who went and signed up because it was the first war where planes were used in combat mm-hmm. and it was still very much a gentleman's thing the pilots were right. officers and they had their clubs and, you know you'd go do battle in the skies and and then it had the same thing where they'd come back to their base and go back into their little manor house bar and drink and right. and that's where those come from is they come from World War One those ideas and those ideas never happened in World War Two because it was such a completely different war right tactic wise mm-hmm. technology wise exactly. front wise so they've sort of put the the planes from front and center from two, if you will, mm-hmm. into the setting from one, mm-hmm. which is just really I don't know. It's just satisfying to me in a way. It's you know cherry picking, not really cherry picking, but just combining different elements from both wars mm-hmm. and from the media about both wars, especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, which makes sense if it's a manufactured war that they would want to yes. create their ideal war. Like, right. what are the good parts of all the wars that 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 people felt good about and they're not going to have to feel depressed that, oh, there's constantly this war going on. It's like, oh, there's a war, but we're fighting the good fight. And right. It's okay. Like, you know, yeah, so they, they would have to assemble all the pieces that are going to, you know, make people feel that. You know, it's funny. I, I can't believe I never thought of that. I really can't. <laughs> That's perfect. If you're going to... Cherry pick, like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. And uh, I want to point out the diner owner. I guess Daniel would be his name. Daniel's diner, uh-huh. presumably. He seems to be the only human who actually cares about the children. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, right. not quite. He, the, the, he and the girls, the two. The, the mechanic yeah. seems to have a certain ab- amount of that too. Yeah, she cares to a point, but she can definitely shut it off when she needs to. She has to because yeah, she's yeah, so close in proximity to but, it. Uh, Daniel, I'm just going to keep calling him Daniel. You know, he when the big battle is going on, the big one, mm-hmm. and they're watching it on TV. There's a great shot where some of the patrons are looking at it, and some of them are just reading the paper, and some of them are whatever. And it's, it's another, it's the football game right. in the corner, right. and he's watching. He's standing there holding a cutting a loaf of bread and he stops and just looks up and it shows 
uh, I guess it's his wife, the woman who helps him with the yeah. diner. She's just taking orders. And then later, he walks out and sits down on the steps. With the, the, the old guy, yeah. his lips. Oh, the old guy. And you hear her shouting from inside, Where are you? We're busy. Yeah. But you can tell he... Is feeling the weight of that. He feels the weight of this huge battle. Yeah. And the wonder of how many of his those faces that he knows are going to come back into his diner. And they're the only faces he knows, because they keep coming back with different <laughs> yeah. names, but he keeps serving <laughs> them the same stuff. Yep. That's a great, great mm. character. In in the realm of that, do we ever find out who that old guy is, what his deal we is? We don't. Like, okay, it just seems to was, be, yeah. I think the old guy is an artistic installation. I mean that not just in he's this this old old man silver hair sitting, sitting on the, the steps. steps of the diner constantly in the exact same he might as well be a statue yeah mm-hmm. really he never looks up home. and I think that Konami looks at him a lot as he goes in and out of the diner yeah. I think I mean it's it's weird because he grew old mm-hmm. which is something yeah. that the children will never do right but he's just as still and inanimate as they are despite his age right which sort of you know, it touches on the idea that what makes one life any different or more or less fulfilling than another. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what makes life life, and et cetera, et cetera, more sci-fi themes. You know? right, yeah, yeah. The yeah. other thing is that when we see Konami, he's constantly looking up. This old, shriveled man is in one position looking down constantly. Mm-hmm. So it's this very interesting juxtaposition or contrast between age and down and eternal youth and up. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting because he talks about why would you ever want to grow old? Yeah, he talks to uh, um, the girl, the daughter. Yeah, the commander's yeah. daughter I, about I, that. I've lost so many yeah. names here, mm-hmm. but yeah, he talks to the daughter. She says you can't. He says, which I think is, is a great word choice here. Well, not that we can't; it's that we don't. Yeah, and it's funny because don't can just be well, we don't because that's just how we are. Our literal creation, if you mm-hmm. want physical beings, is we don't. Mm-hmm. We just don't age. That's right. the nature of our quote-unquote species. But also also war. Yeah. 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 We don't grow old. Right? Yeah. Because we, don't, we don't have the opportunity for right. to. Yeah. I think it's a fantastic conversation. And I wonder if that's almost like like a bit of a, a clue almost like what if what if they actually aren't immortal and they do age but yeah just that they do never get the chance to you know like maybe they assume that because they're like oh we're always young and it's like well and that's the significance of the wouldn't. skill of the teacher is that he's grown up right he's and been alive that is also though part of the purpose for the daughter because mm-hmm. she exists at that certain age and I mean the commander gave birth to her right so the commander would have aged. Oh, that's true. Yeah, because she's—that's right. Because she's just right. It's out, what it tells us. This isn't magic, or rumor, mm-hmm. or oh, they just all die so much that they never grow old, and that's right, why they right. have this that's name. True. It tells us that there's actual fact. Yeah, fact in the lack of aging. Something that definitely helped me with watching this film is you prefacing anime series as give it two or three to get into the groove of it. Oh, They're all slow yeah. starters. I also heard from my boss, Jerry, who loves this film, that it's a slow start. Okay. If it starts to lull, persevere, because it's going to get good. Right. I, I was hoping not to give too much away to you guys. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I kind of generally want a more blind watching. No, I, I, I definitely Because you can only too. get that once. Right, yeah. right. You, know, yeah. you can always Absolutely. get the informed watching later. Yeah. But... 
I kind of wish I'd given you more than Tim after I hear what Joel has said here. And I did have that feeling with this film in particular mm -hmm. because it's, you know, like I said, it's a film of subtle hints and there's a lot to, mm -hmm. to gather together yeah. and pick up. See, and the other thing, it's, it's like what we talked about last time with the, the Kung Fu movie is it's a slow start and it's really disjunted and as we were watching... I was nervous about maybe you guys aren't enjoying it. Mm -hmm. Again, this is another movie where if I had put it on Netflix, I might have fallen asleep and yeah. never w returned to it again. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, is the purpose of the podcast. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. I think I'm, I'm, I definitely am enjoying the fact that we are pushing through that mm -hmm. and now we're having this discussion. Even if it's a film that we didn't particularly like or was, we're over the moon about, mm -hmm. this is what's fun. I'm yeah. glad to hear that. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's, yeah that's the purpose. Like I said, I'd like to see it again. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Feel free to borrow the desk by the way. So, Tim. Yeah. You, it seems like your anime experience is, was a while ago. Well, actually, and I also thought of this, too. Does, like, Voltron and Speed Racer count as anime? Because, I mean, that was, like, those were cartoons I watched, like, as a little right. kid, you know? And I feel like those were, at least as far as I know, kind of the roots of... So I'll, I'll just give you the spiel right now. Um, <laughs> set me straight. No, that's the problem, though, is that I can't. And I can't set you straight because what counts as anime is, is its own argument. Okay, that's and fair. It is. Oh, it is a big one. Um, <laughs> there's, I've, you know, people say that anime has to come from Japan. Period. Okay, and that's the only criteria. Mm -hmm. People say that it has to come from the Far East. And that's the only criteria, okay. which of course creates arguments about things like Avatar: Last Airbender, which right. was animated in Korea but was made by American guys. Does it count about where it was animated or who made it, etc.? There right. are people who say only certain visual styles, like a manga in motion, okay. say for example, count mm -hmm. as anime, right. which would imply that this wouldn't because it's got 3D in it. I, it's, I mean, in the way that you can probably argue categories for everything, right. you can argue defining brackets for anime of, of any kind. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. of, any kind. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm certainly not going to pass any kind of judgment mm -hmm. or waiting on that. But the, I've been watching the new Voltron. Mm -hmm. Only heard good things. People uh, like I, I'm that. I'm actually really enjoying it. Because yeah. it's, it's a reboot too, right? Like yes. it's, it's, it's a reset. from zero. Yeah. yeah. There are definitely anime tropes in there. Mm -hmm. One of the big things is the sudden exaggeration of features. The two characters yeah. are talking and everything's yeah. normal, and then one of them says, "You said what?" <laughs> and their head goes, Whoop, you know, and yeah. the spike yeah. drop appears, and that that happens in Voltron. Right. So again, you know, which piece? How many pieces do you need before it counts as anime or doesn't? Right. I'm not, not going to yeah get into any of that. Or, but, or yeah, doing an but, homage to anime, right. but isn't actually right. anime. But you can feel the influence <laughs> all over the place, right? And whatever you think reminds you of something or connects you to something, mm -hmm. go ahead. Yeah. If you're sitting here thinking about animation and the first thing that comes to mind is Voltron, then great, go ahead, please mm -hmm. talk about Voltron. We're not going to close anything off. Yeah. I just, we're also not going to be so pretentious as to make our own dictionary. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. with Speed Racers, it's very, very dated. Mm -hmm. And the way it was edited was very different for American audiences mm -hmm. than it was for its origin. So, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, to me, like, my understanding used to be that, you know, you have, you know, there are, I feel like, tons of cartoons that have come from America, like Bugs Bunny. You right. know, like, I wouldn't consider Bugs Bunny anime because right. it was originally done here. And, you know, and I think sometimes Steve that's... Really. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know, like, that's sort of the big 
disconnect is like oh the 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 you know Europe and America is sort of the streamlined thing and then oh this the west is, and the east. this is from the yeah this yeah. is from the east this is all this weird new stuff we're going to bring over and adapt it right. and you know and it had to be voiced over because the original language wasn't english right. you know um but but anyway yeah. just you know which i think i mentioned this last month but between dubbing and subbing we're not weighing into that argument either. Thank you very much. Right. Um, <laughs> we're going to largely stick with dubs. We talked about just less distracting the yeah. titles. Right. Unless there's something in which we know that there's a, an issue of poor translation, etc. Et right, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm actually glad that we weren't distracted by reading because it was so visually stunning. Mm-hmm. That, that would have... I mean, there's very little chatter in the sky, so we would have been fine there. But any time they would have yeah. been walking through a location... We would have had some sure. some sure. distraction from mm-hmm. the visual. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I I feel like before I met, brought up the whole Voltron thing, there was another question you were going to ask me about my my experience with anime before we kind of went on. That oh tangent. yes. So um, you've now seen well well okay yes Ghost in the Shell was live action, but like I said, it was a very direct adaptation. So you saw Ghost in the Shell, mm-hmm. which was very anime esque. Mm-hmm. You know, again, it was, it was a very Loose terms. I know it's not anime. <laughs> <Thank you>. um, <laughs> and now you've seen the Skycrawlers. So you've seen, you know, okay, close enough, uh, two sci-fi anime films. Especially you've seen the plots, the plot of the Ghost of right. the Shell. You know. yeah. um, and even by the same director, as it happens. Right. Mm-hmm. And yet, I feel like you definitely enjoy Ghost in the Shell more. You certainly understood it more. It's much more straightforward. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, that said, mm-hmm. then when I tell you, hey, you should look into more anime just because there's so much more out there. Right. What, what do you think? What does that, that thought, that recommendation conjure? Does it conjure reluctance or does it conjure um, interest or caution or, I mean... No, I mean, and I think we actually had this discussion a while ago where f- there was a period in time where I wanted to get into anime and I feel like I tried a few things. I think... <laughs> Back when I worked at Blockbuster. <laughs> We're at I Minute 54 for the first reference to Blockbuster. Uh, of, secret mission of every podcast to get Tim to talk about his time at Blockbuster. <laughs> by, by, by episode number like 27, that'll just be... So, Tim, uh, the blockbuster how many blockbuster. tapes weren't rewound when you were at Blockbuster? Yeah. <laughs> 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 and agony, and that'll be mission accomplished. All right. Sorry, you were saying. We should um, close the podcast with that. Right. <laughs> be, be kind, rewind. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but but no, like you know, when I had the opportunity to like rent a bunch of stuff for free, I like I feel like I did watch a bunch of stuff, but I don't remember any of it. And I think sure. you know, and and you know, kind of as I said before, to me, like when I'm watching films, like I, I feel like the story is the most important thing. So, and and I almost wonder if that's part of what the issue was with this. Not so much the the core of the plot, but the the way it was told. Like you know, um, you know. You are obviously are so like very into World War One, World War Two. Oh, you know, yeah. like you'll talk about stuff. I'm like, I have no idea what he's referencing because oh, sure. I, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm terrible with history. Pusher configurations, and, right? You know, yeah, I mean that I got because you know, right? But um, but for me, it is it is kind of more about like um, I guess kind of combining a compelling story with like sort of subject matter I'm kind of interested in, and I think yeah. the Ghost in the Shell that kind of more futuristic stuff that tends to appeal to me more mm-hmm. you know like with with the matrix you know so, and, and um i think um and not that not that it, it can't be something that i'm not already interested in um 
but I think it's sometimes it's harder for me to kind of make a connection to any sort of like metaphorical reference if I don't know what the thing is on the surface, you know? Right. Yeah. So like kind of understanding the nature of, of, you know, world war, how this was a reference to world war one and world war two and these cults. And I'm kind of like, okay, I kind of vaguely know Certainly. what that stuff is as opposed to like, you know, when they're talking about, you know, um, you know, you know, in the matrix kind of like logging in and doing all this stuff and we're going to do this. And it's like, oh, okay. Like I can kind of get those metaphors and how those relate to things in real life that are not exactly those things. Sure. Um, but but again, it's, it it doesn't have to be a futuristic thing. Uh, no, and I, um, I, I don't think you've made anybody think that you're yeah. so shallow as to only like things that att- <laughs> attach uh, things that are about one of your prior interests. Right. Not at all. I don't think I, what you're saying at all. I definitely think but, you would like One Punch Man. Yeah, and it, it's on my list. And I just haven't gotten to it. You're light in that it helps. Yeah. 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 Yes. It, it informs the context. Yeah. yeah. And and I mean you know I, I I do like the idea of of kung fu so yeah anime that's that that has kung fu in it you know you know especially if there's sword play involved right. you know things like that um uh you know I'm I'm also you know big into mythology so if there's like an anime that deals with you know oh well, these gods and this that and the other like that type of a thing you know um you know that's also another thing I'd I'd like to explore um. But Scott, you gotta no, say no, something. No, 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 it's no. like a heroin dealer deciding whether to give you the good shit or not. Another divisive anime that um, has a lot to do with religion okay. and gods. Yeah. And, so, but, 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 no. <laughs> but I mean, like another one that's also very complex. Yeah. There's a lot of vagueness going on. So, but, but I feel like if if that's the thing, if if I'm if I'm kind of connecting to subject matter that I already know something about and can relate to, and I'm mm-hmm. already interested in, it'd probably be easier for me to follow something that was more complex. Than the plot of this was, if I can recognize those, you know, like again, like American Gods, the little that I, I've only seen two episodes, but the things that I'm seeing, I'm like, oh yeah, that's this. Like when they mentioned Anansi, and I'm like, oh, I know what that is. That's mm-hmm. the Spider God from Africa. Okay, you know, you from which you should know that too because you've read the the J. Michael Straczynski Spider Man mm-hmm. run. <laughs> so like, you know, those little things, I'm like, okay, I see what they're doing. They're piecing together all, you know. Yeah. So when things, um, you know, when stories do that, when they kind of pull pieces from stuff that's kind of out there in common knowledge and like combine it with other things and kind of weave this this new mythology together that's usually the stuff I get really into because then I can, like I said, I can notice some of it or if something looks like it's supposed to be significant, I can look it up like, well, what's the deal with this part? Oh, that's what that is, okay, now that makes sense that's you know. mm-hmm. you, Yeah, that's I mean, you just you said it, <laughs> you said it good mm-hmm. I had a similar Experience, I'll say, with the Uncharted video games, mm-hmm. which I'm sure you guys have heard of. Mm-hmm. They're sort of Indiana Jonesy. Yeah. First one is El Dorado. Second one is Shangri-La or Shambhala. Mm-hmm. Third one is the Atlantis of the Sands. And I have lost the name of the actual city now, but a city lost in the desert. Fourth one is pirates from the Golden Age of Piracy. Okay. And as a result, a lot of Christianity. Okay. And okay. it was such a I don't want to say relief, but just it was so welcoming to actually even have the faintest clue about all the right. anything around me. Right. <laughs> it isn't to say the other stuff was bad. It was great, and they did a really good job of telling the story, and I never felt alienated. Right. It was all this cool new stuff to explore. Right. But here, for once, I felt like Nathan Drake, like, 
I get the reference. Right. I get the puzzle. I get my yes, I understood that reference. It's yes. such, a, such a wonderful feeling yeah. to like, oh, this is something that I have a passing background in. Mm-hmm. Not even because I'm religious, I'm really not, but just because Christianity is so closely tied to Western culture right. that, you know, it was, it was easy to, to tally into the references we've seen in other places and all, all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And you're right. There's just an indescribable difference in personal connection between mm-hmm. Uncharted 4 and the others. That was made just because I had familiarity with the setting, I guess I'll say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Close enough, functionally the same. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So as we're coming into about an hour here, mm-hmm. I was thinking we might want to try um, hopefully a reoccurring segment on the podcast. Um, situational movie recommendations. Um, I don't know if you guys have these Prepared. I thought it would be cool to try it out. No, let's do it. Um, yeah. So, just these are suggestions we have for specific situations, like a first date, uh, going out to see a bad movie that you like, those kinds of things. Um, so, I thought it would be interesting for us to talk about our favorite movie to watch when we have to stay home from work and we're sick. Oh, okay. Um, so I can go first since I'm Please. springing yeah, this on you yeah, with yeah. no prep. Um, I've found the last couple of times I've been sick, and I'm very nasal, so that happens quite a bit. Um, uh, Robin Hood, the animated Robin Hood. Oh, uh, with the fox. With the fox. Yes, oh, yeah. I, I that, that, that movie or animated Sword and Stone. Uh, and I don't know if it's, if it's because that's the stuff I would have watched when I was little. Had the VHS tape with the star on it, so I knew which one it was without being able to read my parents' cursive. Like mm-hmm. just being able to pop that in, sit on the couch, have some chicken noodle soup and uh, Gatorade or whatever it was. Sure. Just being able to sit on the couch under a blanket and watch these really kind of familiar, like medieval English swordplay mm-hmm. stories. That that definitely feels like the most comforting. Under a blanket on the couch when you don't feel well. Um, so that those are my two go-to's. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen mm-hmm. Sword the Stone in such a long time. I uh, love that movie. I think so I've much. ever seen that one. Really? Yeah. We might have to put I mean, that. We might. Make have sense. <laughs> it's it's. It came during a, a glut of animated films. Right. Yeah. You know, a huge quantity. So it's probably the most playful so Merlin has ever been portrayed. <laughs> He's so much fun. Oh, yes. <laughs> Wow, homesick. I'm trying to think about what I did. The most recent my, time. My tooth removals. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I had one in January mm. and then oh, and one before that in July. And Dwayne Johnson's The Tooth Fairy. That man is a charisma machine, but why did he do that movie? <laughs> but because I went home for those to my to the surgeon in my head in California and stayed at my mom's mm-hmm. house, I didn't have my own film collection gotcha. on hand. So I, I contented myself with a lot of whatever was on her cable. Um, gotcha. And, you know, YouTube. But actually, Star Wars. Okay. Uh, I, I tend to return to the Star Wars movies because they're just, they're fun. Yeah? I'm young enough that the prequels were a lot of fun when I was a kid because I was a kid. And I wasn't looking to them for cinematic art. I was looking <laughs> to them for an adventure. Right. A cool lightsaber adventure. And you know, for that, they were perfectly sufficient. That this is the best pod per- race. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody bet me when uh, Force Awakens came out to say that before the credits roll. Now this is pod racing! Now this is movie watching! <laughs> oh my god. But, 
so yeah, so when I just pop them in and they're just on and I can just watch them or not yeah. or skip things, I just it's comforting because you know, I was probably one of my first big theater events as a f- specific fan of something was the Phantom Menace. Mm. I was finally approaching that age yep. to have enough self agency to yeah. go, this is a thing I like. I liked the old Star Wars movies. I'm really good. Excited. I'm liking the new one, right? Yeah. Looking forward to it. So they're all just and then of course we had those three. And uh, there was the little animated series, the mini one, the old Clone Wars mini series, yeah. which was great, and and I expanded into video games. The PS2 was, you know, my coming of age game system. Yeah. So Star Wars just has this comforting connection to my childhood in so many multitudes of ways. Mm-hmm. And then lately, as an adult, if you will still call me that, I still find that <laughs> weird to think I'm not an adult. <laughs> uh, Mystery Train, Jim Jarmusch film, which is actually already on our list. Okay, I'm not surprised. I don't think I've seen, I've seen heard of that it. one. Yeah, it's about th- it's three short films and take place in Memphis in what was the present day. I think it's the late '80s. I'll have to check. Okay, and about foreigners in Memphis. And that's the stories right, you all, would know, Yeah, we talked yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. The stories all intertwine. Okay, towards the end, and they're just there's a sort of a tone to them. A, a lightness about life that's just really satisfying to me. Nice. So. Cool. Nice. Yeah. TM. Um, for me, see, my thing is whenever I'm sick, I, I try to sleep as much as possible. Okay. But then sometimes if I can't, it's like, well, I want something. And, and especially now where there are so many shows and movies I'm trying to power through, and like I would never want to put something on that I'm just going to fall asleep to. Right. So, um, so I probably have to say, like, you know... Um, you know, something that I can kind of watch that I'm familiar enough with, but will still enjoy watching while I'm up is, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I got to go back to the Matrix. I mean, like, yeah. it's, it's, it, and what's funny about this, I think also part of it is I own it on, like, so many formats. Like, I remember when it had first come out on video, I asked for it for Christmas on VHS and DVD, even though I didn't have a DVD player yet at that point. Because you knew you were going to I'm going to get a DVD player, and I want this to be the first thing I That's watch awesome. when I get that DVD player. <laughs> Um, Speaking as a formal <laughs> former blockbuster employee, right? yes, <laughs> and he all the formats. Um, and then I recently bought like a pack on on Blu-ray where it's like all the films on one Blu-ray for like fifteen bucks or something. I was mm-hmm. like, okay. I also have it. Um, like it, at one point, it got ripped and put onto my computer, so I can just watch it on my computer. Mm-hmm. You know, if I if I don't have any of the disc with me, um, so it's just always there and. Um, it, yeah, it's one of those films where I don't feel like I have to force myself to stay awake so I can follow the plot and be like, right. oh, this part's really interesting. I need to watch this because, what, like I'm never going to see that part again. Like I'll see it next week when I watch it again. Right. Or, um, you know, also that I can just kind of pop in. And what, one of the things that does kind of mess with me, though, is like you kind of go off to sleep and all of a sudden like you hear all these gunshots and you're just like, what is, what is going on? Oh, yeah, it's the Matrix. And it's like this nice little, you know, after the initial shock of being woken up to all this gunfire, it just kind of soothes me back to sleep. Um, and also just in general, like I remember um, years ago hearing about there are these supposed writings, the Emerald Tablets of, of Thoth, which is this Egyptian guy who was immortal or something. I don't know. There's a whole thing with it. Oh, but I remember someone who, saying... Who was that again? Of Tablets I, I, of what? Uh, I, I, yeah, it's like it's spelled T-H-O-T-H. I don't oh, know exactly... That, um, is that God maybe related to history and knowledge? Is there a, is there a yes. bird? Yes. Yeah. No. So <laughs> what has he started to watch recently? Oh, okay. So that's gonna come. Maybe okay. you'll see. No spoilers. <laughs> no, um, 
But I remember, I remember someone saying like that every time you read these emerald, emerald tablets, like new things are revealed to you. And it was supposed to be this magical thing. And one of the things I've got, I've realized in my many years here on this planet is that like every form of media is that. Like every book you read, you're going to get new things. Every film you watch, every TV show, and mm-hmm. you know, and I feel like it's a lot of it is about familiarity, you know. And and I think one of the things I love about the Matrix is no matter how many times I've seen it, which is countless at this point, like there are new things I'll catch, new connections I'll make, new or, or new things, you know. Like I've I've heard of people who are uh, who are who are Catholic or Christians doing a thing called Bible Roulette, where they will open the Bible to a certain page yes. and just read a passage and see how that relates to their life, almost. <clears throat> like you know, astronomy, uh, astrology rather, um, you know, and I feel like the Matrix kind of does, or or anything can do that. Like you will watch some random film that you haven't seen in years, and all of a sudden there's a scene that you're just like, oh my god, that is my life, and this is speaking huh. to me right now. Mm-hmm. And and you know, that's one of the things that I found with with the Matrix is there are so many parts to it that, you know, and, and like I said, I think that's also why it's, it connected so well with that whole being sick thing because. Usually you're kind of loopy. It's whether it's cold meds or just being exhausted, and, you're in and, and you'll hear this thing. You're like, "Oh my God, Neo is talking to me." And you're like, "Okay, <laughs> yes, Neo, I will do that." Thing. You know, and, and you know, you're kind of. I feel like sometimes when you're really tired or sick, you're more receptive to those things. You know, as opposed to like when you're in your kind of daily routine. Okay, you got to get up and go. Oh, I'm late for work. I got to. Okay, I'm gonna you know skip a shower. I'm gonna do. You're like, there's no there's no room in that part of your day to kind of change what you're doing with your life. Whereas when you're sick and you're kind of pulled out of your life and you're open to these new kind of concepts that might work their way into your ear while you're sleeping or while you're near sleep. Um, so, so yeah, so to me that's sort of kind of what I, it's, it's my excuse to be like, okay, Matrix, talk to me. What are you going to say to me? You know? and kind of, or I should say not so much the Matrix because even though it's what the film is, it's, it's the villain of the film. But okay, Wachowskis, what are, what are you trying to tell me this time you know, as I lay here in a stupor <laughs> having a fever dream? Cool. Very nice. Awesome. Well, wow. thank you, Scott, for your recommendation. <laughs> thank you guys for uh, sitting through it. Yeah. Well, no, no it wasn't yeah. just sitting through. I, okay. I feel like we it, it was easy to talk about because there was a lot to talk about. Yeah, I, like you just said, I got a lot more out of this now, and in this case, thanks to you guys, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, thank you both. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Thank, you. thank you again for entertaining this experiment of the oh, podcast yeah. itself, and uh, thank you for sticking with it and for providing so much just phenomenal awesomeness. <laughs> really, it's been phenomenal. So, next episode, it's it's up to Tim. Yes. And do you yes. have an idea what we will be watching? Yes, we will be watching Koyaanisqatsi. Um, I forget yeah. who the director is, but Philip Glass did the score. And it's oh, the, there's pretty much the no dialogue. I picked the music for that. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Big surprise! That's <laughs> how I spell that, Tim. Um, do you know? K-O-Y... A, I think a second A. Is it that? Yes. First result on yes. Google. <laughs> I think it's like. Uh, okay, here's Wikipedia. Okay. For you. I, I shall read. Mm-hmm. So uh, the or film consists. For IMDb, and that's, you know. Yeah, Scotsi, also known. Uh, it means life out of balance. Okay. Uh, is a 1982 American experimental film directed by Godfrey Reggio, with music composed by Philip Glass and cinematography by Ron Frick. Fricka. F-R-I-C-K-E right? Yes uh, The film consists primarily of slow motion and time-lapse Ooh. footage of cities and many natural landscapes across the United States The visual tone poem contains neither dialogue nor a vocalized narration Its tone is set by the juxtaposition of images and music 
Mm. I'm not going to read the whole thing. No, that's why I, I am excited. But, oh man! Yeah. So without really giving you guys, you know, yeah, it's it's not there. There's no. I mean, I don't want to say there's no narrative because as you're watching it, there's definitely you a apply progression. It. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's it's basically about um, these gorgeous visuals and this music that perfectly matches a tone the, the, yeah, the, like the visuals. Yeah. Um, Which and I don't, I don't think I've ever seen one, to be frank. Like a proper sort of tone poem mm-hmm. in film, so this would be a new yeah. experience. Yeah, and you know, a, a, an interesting thing just to keep it like how the, yeah the word I think it's a Hopi word mm-hmm. for life out of balance. Okay. So just kind of keep that that sort of little thing in the back of your mind as you're kind of watching as far as like the kind of what ties everything together. Um, but yeah, there are just there there are so many um, yeah so many incredible moments. Um, and, and this is one where, yeah, obviously you're going to pay more attention to the score because it's like half of the film, mm. you know. Um, yeah, there's no dialogue, there's no, so you're just kind of looking at what you're looking at, and um, and there are a lot of criticisms of uh, the, the musical style minimalism, which has to do with like a lot of repetition, um, you know, a lot of the purpose for it, um, or some of the origins of it is from you know certain composers who have gone to other countries and listened to their music, and if their music has a lot of repetition, kind of incorporated that. Uh, there's aspects of you know meditation, you know, where if you're listening to this rhythm, kind of repeating, it becomes like a mantra, and it put, can put you in a meditative state. Um, so you know, kind of whatever your thoughts are about minimalism as a sort of standalone um, f- musical form, the way it fits this film. Is well, you know, without putting the the word in your head, it, it is perfect. You know, where anything else, I feel like you know, you don't, you wouldn't want Hans Zimmer to have scored this. Film, okay. You know? <laughs> um, but but yeah, so so that'll it'll be very, very different yet very similar, I think, to the stuff we've seen in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right. cool. Looking Sounds forward good. to that one. Oh yeah, it's gonna be. I'm excited. Alrighty. Well, uh, that third one's gonna be our first full rotation too. Yeah. Through all three of us. Yeah. Which. Uh, I know it's only three episodes, but it's sort of a landmark, I suppose. Mm-hmm. The first of many. Yeah. yeah. First of many. And For sure. Yeah, we, we will have seen now uh, 80s era Chinese, but very American, Kung Fu. Uh, or aughts, is it called? Early 2000s Japanese anime sci-fi. And now 80s American. Experimental. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Experimental, sure. Wow, so... We're covering a nice variety. Yeah, already. Mm-hmm. Thank you all very much for listening, listening in on episode two of Movie Mumble, and we'll see you next month. Bye. Bye. Bye.